0: How Stand-Up Comedy Converted Me from Atheist to Jew, an essay by Matt Ruby. That's me. Until recently, I'd spent most of my life running away from being Jewish. I lived in the Midwest, read Richard Dawkins, watched Bill Maher, dated Shiksa's, and listened to rock and roll. I mean, who needs the Torah when you've got Tom Petty, right? Then I moved to New York City. After that, it started to feel like my Judaism was chasing me down. I'd go to the Tenement Museum and think about my ancestors who came to the Lower East Side a century ago and how they lived. I'd eat hummus at a local place run by a bunch of Israelis. And I was invited to seders and Sabbath dinners for, well, the first time in my life, really. And New York City just feels, well, Jewy. I mean, Lenny Bruce kind of nailed it when he said, if you live in New York or any other big city, you are Jewish. Doesn't even matter if you're Catholic, if you live in New York, you're Jewish. If you live in Butte, Montana, you're going to be Goyish, even if you're Jewish. Also, I began doing stand-up comedy. To find your comedic voice, you're constantly looking for what's authentic about you. And comedy crowds, they have a strange wisdom. They see through you. They tell you every night if you're being authentic or if you're just reciting some lines. And I noticed that when I talked about being Jewish, audiences responded. It felt like there was something true there. True to me, at least. As I got deeper into stand-up, I realized how many of my comedy idols were steeped in Judaism. Larry David, who, when accused on Curb of being a self-hating Jew, replies, Jew hate myself, you? Yeah. but it has nothing to do with being Jewish. Or Richard Lewis, who joked about his grandparents having a satellite dish that was Jewish because it picked up problems from other families. Then there's Jon Stewart, and Howard Stern, and the Marx Brothers, and Gary Shandling, and Mel Brooks. And may the Schwartz be with you! Well, the list goes on and on. Sure, all these Jewish comics have different styles, and many of them barely even talk about Judaism, but they all seem thoroughly Jewish somehow. It's in the way they turn over an idea and look at it. The outsider point of view, the neurosis, the strange obsession with some kind of justice. It feels like they are teaching Jewish values in a different, subtle way. Around that time, things started getting heavy in my personal life. My parents passed away. First, my mom from a stroke and then my dad from cancer. And death gives you clarity. You realize all the crap you normally think matters actually doesn't matter at all. And you want to be connected to something larger. My dad grew up in Israel, but I rarely heard him speak Hebrew. Yet during his final days, when he was on a ton of morphine, he began to speak Hebrew even though no one around him understood what he was saying. His mother tongue was coming out. The part of him he never showed was emerging, something that had been in there all along. He also kept thinking there was powder in his hands, which there wasn't. But he'd say, I want to put the powder in my tea, so I'd play along and get his mug of tea and place it under his hands. And he dumped this invisible powder into the glass, and he felt better after that. Later, he offered me some powder. It's for you, he said, and I'd carry away his invisible powder. Meanwhile, all this other stuff was happening too. My nephew was growing up and I'd visit and we'd light the candles for Hanukkah together. And I heard him say the blessings that I said as a child, the same words I had spoken and my great-great-great-grandfather had spoken. It felt like we were all part of a stream, joined together by ceremony, ritual, and the stories Jews tell each other. I start to see how previous generations, in a way, rhyme with future ones. Then I dated a Jewish girl. On our very first date, she said, it'll never work out between us. You know that, right? What she didn't realize was that was catnip to me, a man attracted to emotional unavailability like a moth to a flickering lighter. Now, it didn't last, but I noticed when we were dating, something felt right about it, you know, like our ancestors would have gotten along, and I'd never felt that in a relationship before. I also started drinking ayahuasca, a hallucinogenic tea that comes from the Amazon, and it really rocked my world. And during my first trip, I kept thinking about Jews and stories and writing. And I had flashbacks to my father teaching me how to write essays like this one for school. Over and over, symbols of Judaism ran through my mind while I was hallucinating. I pulled out a pen and I started writing things down in a notebook with my shaky hand. I said, lessons, stories, parents, teach, carry on, laugh, stories. There was a lot of emphasis on stories. (laughs) After that, I thought more about how much I was influenced by Jews. I recalled seeing Leonard Cohen live and feeling blown away by how he combined faith, lust, humility, and poetry, and going to London and sitting in a room full of Mark Rothko murals, an immersive spiritual experience, and reading Michael Pollan, who changed how I eat, and Listening to Bob Dylan's Gotta Serve Somebody on repeat. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Throughout my life and in the things I love, Jews kept popping up. So eventually I started thinking I should examine the Torah and how Jews are made. If I enjoy running the app so much, I should look at the source code. So I decided to give Torah study a try. For years, I met with a rabbi once a week to discuss the Torah. At first, I kept challenging him. People really live to be 700 years old? I mean, come on. The Ark really carried all of those animals, seriously? But eventually, I chilled out with the gotcha questions. They seemed besides the point. Instead of taking it literally, I've come to see the Torah as a blueprint for faith. Even if everything in it was just invented by some ordinary dudes, I'm not sure that makes it any less incredible. In fact, to create a fiction that enduring that might be the greatest miracle of all. I don't have a clean ending here. I still tell jokes. I still struggle with Judaism. I know more about it, but I don't really follow the rules and I'm not sure I ever will. But something that seemed fuzzy feels more in focus. I feel more connected to my roots. I feel like I understand just a little bit better. The invisible powder, one generation of Jews hands to the next.
1: Anyway, I I wanted to talk to you about Dr. Whatley. I I have a suspicion that he's converted to Judaism purely for the jokes. (laughs) And this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian.
0: So that essay originally appeared in my Rube's letter, my weekly newsletter that you can sign up for at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. Now to ask some follow-up questions is our producer, Jeremiah McVeigh. Hey, Jeremiah.
1: Hey, Matt. So I was curious while listening to that, one, do you still consider yourself Jewish to the extent that maybe you did at the peak of learning about it? Or is it something that's kind of trailed off? Or is it something that's just sort of like this low-level buzz in your life.
0: <laughs> well, let's zoom out for a second. I do think sort of who you are is what you do. If you're writing all the time, then you're a writer. If you're acting all the time, then you're an actor. If you're doing Jewish stuff all the time, then you're you're being Jewish. If you're not doing Jewish stuff, I guess you're still Jewish, but it does feel different. So I, I don't do Torah study anymore. Uh, and it does make me feel less actively Jewish in that, behavioral kind of way. And that became sort of like part of the internal conflict in my head was like, you can study all this stuff all that you want, but then it gets to a certain point And this is what the rabbi was teaching me was kind of saying too is like you got to kind of do it like there's the level of judaism of like knowing about all this stuff but then the next level is to really put it into practice there's you know 613 laws that you're supposed to be following you know you're supposed to be going to synagogue you know regularly you're supposed to be praying and all this stuff and i think i've spent too long of my life not living that way to really go full throttle into being like a deeply observant jew but that said, I mean, I think it's it is baked into me as a, a low level hum or what have you. That's not going to go away. That's just part of who I am and, and my upbringing and you know sort of you know uh, a cultural origin story as much as it is you know am I doing it actively in any sort of you know day to day or weekly kind of way right now?
1: Well, I wonder if it's kind of like therapy where you know some people need to be in therapy basically continuously for, for as long as they can, you know, or for, for life. But some people are good to go to therapy for months or a couple of years. And then they feel like they have processed the things that they decided to go to therapy about, and then they can kind of move on with their lives, having had that experience incorporated into their life. So was, was your connecting with your Judaism sort of that for you in a way
0: first of all, I'll give you the viewpoint of a quote unquote real Jew or someone like my rabbi who'd be like, that's nonsense. You don't just get, you don't just get to like dip in and learn about it and be like, okay, I got it. Right. Yeah. Box checked. (laughs) And now I'll move on with my life as a, I've reached, you know, black belt level Jew, you know, it's like the entire sort of foundation of it is is as a practice that you continue to do. But for me personally, it was definitely a leveling up in understanding of kind of coming back to Judaism with the mindset of an adult, you know instead of being a child and sort of learning it in this you know introductory kind of way to go back as a grown-up and be like, okay, what's really in this book? what's what what are we really talking about here? What are the real reasons for for this stuff? And then you know, on my own, you know sort of like, uh, from an archetypal joseph campbell you know kind of way like what what is the purpose of these myths what 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 are they really accomplishing for us as like a, a tribe um and even coming to view you know oh, these 613 commandments or laws that we're, we're supposed to follow all the time is this you know I, i'm i've study a lot of Buddhism too, is like, is this the Jewish version of mindfulness of like every time before you eat or before you put on a light, you have to stop and think about like, okay, what day is it? What, what has happened? Am I supposed to do this right now in a way of forcing yourself to kind of, uh, almost like a walking meditation where every step you take, you're supposed to examine your, your, your feet landing on the ground and thinking about your legs moving in a, in a sense that's giving you a more you know, sort of meditative mindful state. And so things like that started, um, occurring to me. And I guess one of the things, since you mentioned therapy, you know, going to therapy once a week and sitting down with someone else for an hour and talking about stuff, there is a similar sort of vibe to Torah study when you do it one-on-one to meet with this older Jewish guy who's, you know, and talking about, you know, life and passage, there is a, a therapeutic, element to it and it is an oral tradition and i think part of the reason for that is to get two jews in a room you know from different generations talking to each other about their experiences and having having that back and forth so i do and you know i I don't think it's a coincidence there's so many jewish therapists and that there's this overlap between it because i think there is something about it that does um have that vibe in a way but that said i think like any hardcore jew would would uh, bristle at the idea that you could just dive in for a few years and then be done with it the way you, you I think you can with therapy.
1: Right. Well, while you were kind of at the peak of seeking it out and connecting with it, I know you did mention in the essay also that you did some of those traditions as a kid. So did it make you think back on those moments and realize that maybe it was more present in your life than you'd realized even? Or, Or how did it make you think about its presence in your life when you were younger anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I mostly hated it. I mostly was like bored. I didn't want to do it. As soon as I was bar mitzvahed, I begged my parents, can I stop going to Sunday school and doing any of this? Uh, I lived in a place where there weren't a ton of Jews around, so it wasn't, you know, sort of happening around me a lot. But yeah, I think it was, especially like that ayahuasca experience was this reveal of like, you think you can run away from this? That this is a thing that's part of you genetically, probably through like, you know, intergenerational DNA or trauma or anxiety or whatever is happening with Jews that makes us all neurotic and, and what we are, you know, culturally, you know, what the values of my parents were and the things that they emphasized growing up. And then, yeah, in a more religious way of like saying these prayers of lighting the cam- candles at Sabbath of, you know, celebrating high holidays of being bar mitzvah that, yeah, that, you know, even if I wasn't, you know, r- deeply believing in it as a child and wanted it to be done, that that's still a very different experience than people who aren't Jewish have. And that, that is going to make you see the world in some different way If from a young age. You're sort of, you know, indoctrinated into this, mode of thinking and to me it was a reveal that like it's not something you can get away from that it's sort of embedded in you and even you know talking to the rabbi who i did torah study with because it was after the ayahuasca experience that i tried to explain to him psychedelics and art and creativity and buddhism and all these other things that had in my mind provided me you know with value in my life and he's like well it makes sense that you're here studying the Torah now seeking answers because you've looked everywhere else in the world that you could and now you've decided to examine your own backyard. And you know that kind of stuck with me of like, oh if you know I, I, I tend to have a, a seeker type mentality and it makes sense that I would try to venture as far away as possible in order to, to find out answers. but yeah like there's there's a good chance a lot of them are you know we're, we're right where you started all along. And now for some quickies. Look, y'all have been doing a bad job hiding your drug deals on Venmo, okay? No one's buying that you're paying some guy named Dark Lord $180 at 2 a.m. on Saturday night to go skiing. I'm changing all the time, like one month ago me will look at flights and be like, sure, I'll fly at 6am if it means I can save $30. And then today me, when the alarm goes off at 4am, is like, okay, I would pay $1,000 to snooze for another hour, screw you one month ago me. New York City, it's the city that never sleeps. You can subscribe to or follow this show just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or anywhere else that allows you to do that. And when I say that, I mean like leave it a good review. I, I feel like that's obvious, but if, you, if you're just going to leave it a bad review, you, you don't have to. Anyway, it helps others find the show, which I really appreciate. Uh, If you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at mattruby at hey.com. That's mattruby at H-E-Y dot com. And if you like this podcast, you should subscribe to The Rube's Letter, where what you just heard first appeared. You can find that at mattrubycomedy.com slash subscribe. And while you're at mattrubycomedy.com, you can also find links to my Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok, where I post clips of my stand-up and other stuff, too. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it.
1: This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.